Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I like doing it. You know, I love running routes. We better be in Florida. It better be sunny. And there better be some sort of fruity drink involved. With Matt Harmon. They seem like you know ball the way you talk, so. <laughs> Thank you. Someone clipped that. Looking forward to facing your mom at some point. Last night at the bar we were at, I had some really bad queso. I've never had no bad queso, really. Good morning. It's Monday, August 8th. It's the first day of the podcast Daily Grind, and it doesn't stop for 20-ish weeks. When our producer, John, wrote that on the outline the first time I saw it, I was like, whew, buckle in, baby. Uh, I'm excited, though. I'm also excited today to be joined by Scott Pianowski. Scott, what's going on, man? Not much. It's a beautiful day. August 8th. Happy birthday, Don Port. Great to be talking football with you and Hanging out with our buddy Lord Podcast, John Gennaro, our <laughs> intrepid producer. Uh, go, go to him if you want to break down the San Diego Padres, who want to rule everything in Major League Baseball. But you know, Matt, this off season it, it's been exciting with all the trades, uh, receivers changing teams, and, and you know, the NFL is just such a great news cycle. But I'm ready to start like drafting and getting games going. I mean, I, I know that what we've seen on the field so far is mostly backups playing and Josh Jacobs, but. Oh, I'm just, you know, I, I've had enough of these discussions and who is the best player nobody's talking about. Everybody's talking about everybody. Let's, you know, yeah. let's get into this. Let's let's start building some great fantasy rosters. It feels like this year more than ever, I'm excited to see the answers play out. You know, like we've been studying for the test. It feels like we're about to take our tests and then, you know, we're actually going to get the report back here soon once the game starts. And I feel like this year more than ever, because of all these changes with with quarter some quarterbacks but especially wide receivers it's going to be really fun um we got a fun show today though we're going to preview a very interesting team finally uh last <laughs> the last three episodes we've talked the panthers the falcons uh the seahawks not that fun today we're going to talk about the baltimore ravens that should be a really good discussion but first we have a lot of training camp news and rumors to get into scott starting with what's been kind of the topic of the weekend, which is the Cleveland Plain Dealers, Mary Kay Cabot reports that the Browns have told Kareem Hunt that he won't be traded. Of course, he has asked for a trade uh, because they have not adjusted his contract. Um, it also sounds like the Plain Dealer reports that the Browns are expected to find Kareem Hunt if he continues to stay away from team drills, stuff like that. So this has sort of been something that's... Um, been whispered about all offseason can the Browns really carry because we know they have a foundation point in Nick Chubb you know a, a, one of the best pure runners in the NFL and I think actually could do more in the passing game if they ever asked him to do it if if Kareem Hunt was ever not on the roster um 
So they have him. They have Dearness Johnson. I know you're a big Dearness Johnson fan. They actually gave him a little, a little bit of a decent contract. So uh, we'll see there. But what was your reaction to this? Um, do you think this turns into a trade or um, is Kareem Hunt kind of out of options? I, frankly, I don't think he has that much leverage. Yeah. Um, and, and the team, you know, the last thing the team wants to do is do a trade where they run out of leverage, where it's obvious they need to do something. He'll probably be on the Browns when the season starts, and it'll probably mute my affection for Dearness Johnson. Who, I, man, I love I love Nick Chubb too. I love what you said about Nick Chubb in the pass catching. He could do it. They just choose to have him not do it. But mostly, Hunt Hunt's a guy. I I think I've been lower on Hunt than most people since he went to Cleveland, just because I don't think he's ever a threat to take the job away from Chubb. And when he's actually started, when Chubb's been unavailable, Hunt's been just kind of mad. I mean, you know, people are like, oh, here we go. You know, you're going to win your week, win your DFS contest with Kareem Hunt. It hasn't played out that way. I, I don't know that there's really a lot of options here. Now, granted, there's a lot of teams in the, in, in the NFL right now who are weak at running back, who are just waiting to see who gets cut or who becomes available. And the lesson of Dearness Johnson is that there are so many talented players in this league who, the most people I, I didn't know almost anything about Dearness Johnson before last season. And he played really well when he was asked to play. There's a bunch of guys like that who are relatively unknown, who could be productive if given a chance. It's just so much talent at running back and teams. Now it's like the rule of two and three, right? It used to be a platoon backfield was something we'd avoid now. And you can live with two backs in an NFL lineup and it's perfectly fantasy useful. Once you go to three backs, it becomes a problem. I think this is something to talk about, but I don't think ultimately anything's going to happen. I just don't see how they're going to be able to find a trade that Hunt likes, that the team likes. I think they're kind of stuck with each other right now. I sort of feel the same way because what are they really going to get for a guy who just turned 27 at running back? Now, he has less tread on his tires than some of the typical 27-year-old is because um, really outside of the years in Kansas city and Cleveland, he's never had that feature role. I, I love that you mentioned being lower on him generally, because I've, I've been the same way. I'm like multiple spots lower on consensus this year. And I was last year because that upside has never really come to fruition. Whenever Nick Chubb has been unavailable. And this idea that he has standalone value isn't really true either. That one year, I think the first year in Cleveland in 2019, he had a pretty decent pass catching role. But these last two years, he's averaged 2.4 catches per game, um, 2.8 catches per game the last two years. So that's not really anything to write home about either. I want to entertain just, you know, because it's August. It, it, we can have a little fun here. If Kareem Hunt was to get traded, is there a spot that stands out to you as the biggest win? Uh, Dwayne McFarlane from PFF, I saw him throw this out there. He said that if Kareem Hunt holds in and, and turns into a trade, he immediately moves into RB1 territory on any of these teams. The Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs, I don't think that's happening uh, because he's been there before, the Los Angeles Rams, the Eagles, the Dolphins, the 49ers, the Texans, the Bears, and the Falcons. I don't really agree that he turns into an RB1 on some of these teams, but there are a few open depth charts there. Do any of these teams or perhaps another one stand out to you as a good landing spot? Yeah, if he hadn't already been on the Chiefs and, and that ended the way it did, that that's the one that jumps out at me. Sadly, we're going to talk about the Ravens later. If if they don't get really good news with with their backfield, he'd be a perfect fit, except that the Browns and Ravens are never going to make a trade you know, in division. Right. Not to mention, you know, the, the lineage and DNA they share. You know, I, the last thing the Browns are ever going to do is anything that helps Baltimore. But maybe, um, 
I would say my, to me it was Falcons and Texans that stood out um, because, you know, we talked about this with Josh Norris on the last podcast and he brought up Tyler Algier as potentially, a, or excuse me, Andy a couple episodes ago brought up Tyler Algier as a guy that to draft on the on the Falcons because Cordero Patterson, do we really believe he's going to have an early down role? But that's a day three rookie. Hunt obviously would be a better player, but in the trajectory of where the Falcons are as a franchise, and same with the Texans, do they really want to ship off a pick for a running back. I, I don't know, but the, the Falcons might also not agree uh, because Arthur Smith is an interesting cat. He might not agree that they are um, rebuilding, even though they definitely are. Yeah, I like Algier. The, the thing with a running back like like Hunt, it's kind of like a closer is a luxury on a losing baseball team. I feel like a a vanity or semi-vanity running back is a unneeded luxury if you're a rebuilding team or a losing team, a team that isn't designed to make the playoffs like the Falcons or the Texans. What, what's the point? You're not going anywhere this year anyway. Why... And why invest in the Kareem Hunt drama and you know, what he's going to want to get paid and all that stuff. I mean, you can win five or six games without him. I don't know that you're going to get that much better by adding him. I, I suspect that what's going to happen is ultimately one of a running back is going to get hurt somewhere. Starting running back is going to get hurt somewhere from a team that calls itself a con contender. You know, say Cam Akers has a, has a setback. I don't wish this on anybody, but say Cam Akers has a setback with the Rams or one of the Bills running backs gets hurt or, you know, Miles Sanders fell into an injury, you know, something like that. And that's like, okay, now we, we need to add somebody. So I, I think that the Browns have to play the waiting game with Hunt. And the moment somebody gets an injury, what if Leonard Fournette went down Tampa Bay? I know they have other guys, but maybe Kareem Hunt would be of interest to them. So I think it's going to be a case of they have to wait till another team has a motivation to make a trade. This is kind of how the fantasy season works, right? You draft, it's September. Everybody likes their team. And you think, oh, I'm really deep at a certain position. I'll try to trade, you know, one of my extra tight ends or one of my extra quarterbacks. And everybody else is like, oh, I'm all set. I got this guy and this guy. <laughs> yeah. And you have to wait until they're one and four and half their roster is hurt. And then they want to make a trade with you on October 5th. This is what the Browns have to do. They have to wait two or three weeks until somebody has a whiff of desperation. And then maybe a trade can come together. Yeah. And of course, with every discussion with the Browns, the Watson thing mm -hmm. looms large yeah, here. God, you I know. I know I hate I hate talking about it, too, but if he's suspended, he's getting more than six. We know that for sure. Now that the NFL's appealed. If they're gone, if they're without Watson the entire year, then I think they might consider, you know, three weeks into the season. If they're zero and three, some team comes calling because that injury situation that probably makes them more incentivized to make that trade as well. So a lot of unknown factors here, although it sounds like Scott and I agree that he will be on the Browns come week one, whether he's on the Browns come week 10 or 11, that's a different discussion. I don't know, but yeah, I don't really see an obvious landing spot. And I don't really agree that he would, and I don't agree that he's so good that he would vault up to RB one uh, territory on like the bills, for example, when they, when they have other guys there that are capable. So sounds like Scott and I are on the same page with this one. Um, Scott, I know we were on the same page with Josh Jacobs and, we talked about this a week ago, so I don't know if we have to belabor the point. Uh, I actually had somebody, a listener, say to me that they listened to our show and one of their friends had drafted Josh Jacobs like 30 minutes before uh, like downloading our podcast and just had to skip through the section, I think, basically, where we just buried Josh Jacobs on the last podcast. But more negative news about our guy, Josh Jacobs. He played in the Hall of Fame game, and that is pretty surprising, right? I mean, none of the other Raiders stars were out there early in that game. Devontae Adams, Derek Carr, Jaron Wall, these guys didn't play. What do we think about this guy's Zamir White, though? I know that neither one of us want to draft Josh Jacobs. Uh, that's very obvious. But rookie running back out of Georgia, Zamir White, um, you know, he flashed a little bit behind some good, uh, good open holes on the offensive line in that Hall of Fame game. 
is there any chance here that Zamir White's a guy that you want to start bumping up your rankings? Because Kenyon Drake also got run with like the deep backups in the Hall of Fame game, too. So I wouldn't consider him a lock to have a real role in this team either. Yeah, the problem with White is he still, or anybody on this Raiders team, is that their offensive line is so poor. And you can mask offensive line deficiencies much easier in the passing game than you can in the running game. And again, it's I, I don't know. I can't say definitively that Zamir White will never become a capable pass catcher. But man, they did not throw him the ball at Georgia at all. I mean, oh, yeah. when you have 17 catches his entire college career. So this is anybody who's going to be running is going to be their primary skill set on the Raiders. I'm just going to be out on. Obviously, Jacobs is in the final year of his deal. He was inherited by Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels did not you know, choose Josh Jacobs. Great, you can say that about everybody. I mean, Josh McDaniels didn't choose Derek Carr either, but he's going to play. But uh, there's a backfield I'm looking to avoid. I think they're going to throw the ball all over the lot. I think Derek Carr is actually a pretty sneaky bet to maybe lead the league in, in a lot of counting passing stats, maybe passing attempts or passing yards. I think they're, they're going to be a fun team. And it's much has been said about how fun the AFC West is. Anytime they want to put any AFC West game on a standalone platform, I'm all in, but I'm so out on Jacobs. And and honestly, I don't have any white either. He's, he's not the rookie back that I'm targeting. Yeah. I would be okay. Taking a late round flyer, maybe keeping him on like waiver wire speed dial. That's probably more likely the case than taking him even in the late rounds, just based on, you know, we got to see how the rest of the off season plays out for him. But you know, the Raiders added Brandon Bolden, from New England, and I think the common thought was he was just going to be like a guy to help him learn the system. But, you know, I could see either him, uh, Brandon Bolden, or Amir Abdullah, who they also added to, who had a, some moments last year with Carolina as a pass catcher. I could see those guys having legitimate roles if Jacobs and Zamir White are just early down bangers. Totally fair. I, I can see that. I, I, I'll i sign off on that. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about a more exciting running back than Josh Jacobs, who, again, our feelings on Josh Jacobs have already been well known. Speaking Friday, Panthers head coach Matt Rule discussed the team's plans for Christian McCaffrey. He said, I think we're all thinking about Christian one way only, and that's attack. There has been no real, I don't know, uh, I don't know, I don't really know what to call it, but there's been no sort of signs that they want to dial Christian McCaffrey back and make him anything more than just and every down, every backfield touch guy when he's healthy with this Matt Rule coaching staff. And frankly, the Ron Rivera coaching staff before him treated Christian McCaffrey the exact same way. So it sounds like Christian McCaffrey is going to get the same workload this year. We know that to be a unicorn type role in fantasy football. But of course, the health question remains. So Scott, when you read this, does this make you more excited about Christian McCaffrey, knowing that when he's out there, he's going to get the same old workload. Does it make you want to, I don't actually, do you have Chris McCaffrey ranked number two overall? Do you have him ranked number one overall? Where are you at on McCaffrey generally? First of all, what rule said didn't sway me at all because I rule said what I think everybody thought he would say that he's going to be a bell cow. He's going to be a featured back Matt rule, probably coaching for his life in Carolina, his professional life. I'm, you know, I don't want to wish him dead or anything, but um, he knows that the drop off from him to what we, we saw last year, you know, the backups behind McCaffrey were pretty ordinary. You know, Hubbard didn't really do anything. Hubbard was a guy you stashed and then all of a sudden he's a starter and he, you, you like, won oh, great. from Chubba <laughs> Hubbard last year. It did, didn't go, you know, it was the Monty Hall where they opened up the wall and there was a goat. It was not a prize. But what I want to see them do with Carolina is have McCaffrey's going to be an act and he's, they're going to do this, but he's going to catch 80, 90, hundred balls. You want him tackled by the lightest guys on the field, not the heaviest guys on the field. That's the whole key to this. And I, right now I have McCaffrey number two on my running back board. I have him behind Jonathan Taylor. If I get the first pick, I'm taking Jonathan Taylor pretty quickly. 
and I think we may have talked about this last week when we did our, you know, we always end up talking about the Panthers, Matt. I know, I know Scott. I, I I put this on the outline myself, and I was like, well, come on, it's tradition at this point. We got to talk Panthers. Yeah, Matt Matt Harmon, you know, <laughs> Panthers bias. There are very wise people in our industry who would take McCaffrey first, and I get it. And there's been a lot of talk on Twitter. Uh, this, this is always a topic of conversation, but I feel like it's heated up the last few days where. Can we predict running back injuries? Can you look at the running back board and say, oh, no, don't take him. He's an injury risk. Oh, you can take him. He's the safe guy. Yeah. My, where I land on that is I think for the most part, there's a ton of, of just arbitrary noise and randomness to what running backs get hurt, what running backs don't. There are some rules of thumb. Younger is basically safer than older. And again, I think the guys who are tackled by the lighter defenders are in a better. I think there's a reason why players like Tiki Barber and Ladanian Tomlinson heavy pass catchers seem to age very gracefully and, and not get hurt as much as some other guys who had to grind between the tackles. But whether or not you get mauled by some 320 pound defensive nose tackle and your ankle or leg turns a certain way, it's just, this is a fluky random nature to that. And then to pretend that we can predict that with any accuracy, I think is silly. So I'll sign off on, if you want to take McCaffrey number one, I'm not going to say you're wrong. I would I would take Taylor first. If Taylor's gone, McCaffrey was somebody I would consider. I, I would have been smashing Cooper Cup at number two. I don't know what to do with the Stafford stuff with this elbow. I I, I don't yeah, want to we'll, take... we'll talk that soon. Yeah, we have. That. Yeah, I, I don't want to overreact to it. You don't want to overreact to anything, right? You want you re react the right amount on everything. But but McCaffrey's my number two back. I don't think I'm going to move him over Taylor. But I'm encouraged that not that I was surprised by it, but I'm encouraged that Caroline is going to do what they're supposed to do, which is you know, ride your meal ticket and you know, give him the, the touches that he needs and give him specifically the receiving work that he needs. So uh, McCaffrey, is he number one or two on your running back board? I, f I figure he's got to be one or the other. Yeah, he's number two for me. And the reason I wanted to talk about this was twofold. Number one, I do see plenty of smart people on Twitter, and I, I can agree with this. Like, if you have Chris McCaffrey number one overall on your board, I totally understand it. You know, every smart fantasy analysts can totally see that argument but i guarantee you there are people out there listening because and you can see the tweets like when somebody says this and then just read the replies it's like people don't want to draft this guy because he's been hurt the last two years and there are certainly examples where like keenan allen great example of a guy that was hurt all the time and then he wasn't hurt all the time matthew stafford great example of yep. the first couple of years in his his career it looked like he was going to get hurt all the time went through long stretches where he never got hurt in detroit i mean there's an old saying like i think bob harris says it all the time you're injury prone until you're not um or being injury agnostic i it's definitely a thing that we can say in the fantasy circles, but there are users out there, and I think it's worth to just worth it to put our minds in their position that they they just don't want to do it. And I'll tell you what, Scott, I'm I would have the second overall pick in the Apex Writers League, which is an annual league with a bunch of smart folks like JJ Zacharyson, Evan Silva, Sigmund Bloom, uh, Mike Clay. I have the second overall pick. Mike Clay, I believe, took Jonathan Taylor number one. I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm taking Christian McCaffrey number two, no no question, but. Right before I hit click, I I hesitated. I hesitated. I ended up doing it, but I thought about Cooper Cup. I thought about Justin Jefferson. Didn't really think about any other running back. That's the thing. I think that there's still a pretty good drop-off between like Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler, who's my number three back. But I don't know. It's just worth kind of putting yourself in that position because even I hesitated there. I mean, the bottom line is McCaffrey still has a very plausible case to be the number one running back when the season is done. And if you land on that player, nothing will improve your winning chances like having the best running back in fantasy football. But Caffrey has a very reasonable case to be that guy. So we want to draft players like that. It's as simple as that. As far as him versus Taylor, I, I just, you know, Taylor's on a better team, has a better offensive line. 
I guess you have to gauge how much Hines is going to be involved in the passing game. But Taylor's another guy who you know, came out of college. How much are they going to throw him the ball? And it's like, he's actually a very good receiver. It's just a matter of trusting him and letting him do it and letting him spread his wings there. But I, I think in a lot of my leagues, McCaffrey's going to go two or three. And if I had the two pick, I could easily wind up with him. Yep. And I just did. So that's kind of how we stand there on that one. All right, let's move on to another topic here. <sighs> Scott, I am absolutely loving how every day there seems to be a new incredible Brandon IU clip on the on the timeline. I, I'm naturally going to want to get really excited about Brandon IU because I love the player. I think the most important thing is not really the training camp uh, excitement. It's not the fact that, I mean, Jimmy Ward, one of the better 49ers defenders, said he's been the best player in training camp. It's, you know, basically not even close other than Nick Bosa. Um, every 49ers beat writer echoes this statement, too, that he's been the best player in training camp. I think the most important note, though, is that Kyle Shanahan has been right in lockstep, right? Uh, he had a quote just recently said Brandon Ayuk is developing all the stuff he needed to get better. He comes off the ball every play. He's running full speed every play. He's not slow playing stuff anymore. Um, he's not sitting there and fighting guys with his hands. Basically, we all understand what happened last year. Um, and, you know, Shanahan's been pretty upfront about this this offseason, not last offseason, that Brandon Ayuk just wasn't doing the things that Shanahan wanted in training camp because he thought he'd kind of already arrived. This year, it's not happening that way. So, Scott... I keep wanting to move Brandon Ayuk up my rankings because I want people that use my rankings to draft to draft Brandon Ayuk. Do you co-sign that? And then how do I justify that without like without moving Debo down even just like a couple spots? Because I don't want to do that either. Yeah, sadly, I I know I'm going to be underweight on Debo. Just I, I don't think all that running production is anything close to sustainable. He's going to have some rushing role. He's too good at it. And of course, he's been paid. So, and there are even incentives he can earn if he gets a certain amount of rushing production. But I, I want to be in on Ayuk too. A lot of uncertainty again this year with all the quarterback changes, and and also all the sophomore quarterbacks who played. You know, so many of them played poorly last year. I think they were excused absences in almost every case. I'm not going to hold it against Trey Lance. I mean, Trey Lance basically redshirted for two years in a row. He, he didn't play in colleges last year except for a handful of snaps. And then and then the Niners brought him in at a very tender age. They had an incumbent in Garoppolo who could still play. I mean, look, they almost went to the Super Bowl last year. They at one point they were in control of that NFC championship game. And so you, you can't say you can't fault them for where they're at, but now it's time full go with Trey Lance. He's obviously run a, a bunch of extra reps with Ayuk, and that does that's not a magical elixir, but I like seeing it. I mean, at least you know these guys will know what the comfort level is, what what routes do you like to run, where do you like the ball, stuff like that. Ayuk's ADP continues to rise, at least in the places I've looked, and it becomes kind of a rueful, you know, people it's like people want to claim they were in on a band before nobody liked the band. You know, yeah. it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> I was drafting Brandon Ayuk really cheaply in June or May, and you know, where is that now? But you know, I always talk in traffic light, you know, red light, green light, yellow light. He's a green light player for me. Everything you you signed, all the all the check marks line up. And I think he could still make a profit as ADP, even as it is getting more expensive by the day. Yeah, I love uh, I've been using that as well, because I think it's a smart way of doing it. Like in the simplest forms, what do most people want from fantasy analysts? Like, do I draft this guy or not? And I think the red light, green light, uh, yellow light way is a really effective way to get it across. Uh, Scott, that's why you're one of the one of the goats here. But um, with Brandon Ayuk, I was on the athletic football podcast with uh, Robert Mays, and he basically put it a really smart way, which is how many leaps of faith does it take to kind of write off why a guy didn't meet your expectations last year. I think with Ayuk, it really doesn't take that many leaps of faith. And that was kind of the way Robert said it too, was you can, 
easily write off what happened at the beginning of last year um, with the whole doghouse stuff. And now in the context of the offense changing over to Trey Lance, it's just better for a player like Brandon Ayuk. But again, I just don't know what to do with I, – I know what I want to do with Ayuk. I don't know what I want to do with Debo yet. And, I mean, i got to figure that out soon. So it's a tough one there. That's a tough I love one. that you're saying doghouse because as we're talking, and I hope none of this is showing up on my microphone, but it might be my dog no, Teddy not. is – is kind of in the doghouse. Um, it's a really hot day in Michigan, and uh, he's a little bit restless. So if you hear the sound of a dog uh, playing with his bone and making noise, that's Teddy. But Debo, I, it breaks my heart to to not be drafting into Debo because he's one of my favorite players. And just Shanahan's offense is so much fun, right? I mean, yeah. And you have, you have two players on this offense in Debo and in George Kittle who – if I owned a, if I, you know, managed a real football roster, man, I would want those guys because they can do so Hell many yeah. different things. Yeah. And you can, you have so much formation flexibility and, and Debo and Kittle, you know, they play every snap like it's their last snap in the NFL. Kittle loves blocking. A lot of yeah. players who don't, and I don't think Mike Kosicki is too happy about having to block in Miami, but George <laughs> no. Kittle, you, you could go to Kittle on Sunday and be like, okay, we're going to run the ball every play today and you're going to block your, you know, your tail off. He'd be like, great. What do you want me to do? You know, um, the Niners are always a fun team, but I, I don't think I'm going to be drafted into Debo in part because I want to leave myself open for Ayuk. And I'm not saying you couldn't have Samuel and Ayuk on a team, but it probably isn't an optimum roster build. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And Scott, never apologize for any sort of dog uh, hijinks on the pod. You're in good company here, at least with me. Uh, I've got two, and I always have to uh, kind of judge by the time of day. It's Sunday as we're taping this, so I don't have to do it today, but Charlie will always be always always bark at the gate when the mailman comes in so i gotta judge whether he's gonna be in the room or not based on what time of day it is so you're in good company here you're in good we are company. dog friendly here on the yahoo fantasy football forecast that is absolutely right we are um this section of the podcast generally could just be like me asking you like giving me give me a heat check scott on players that i really like because um also reading a lot of excitement about elijah moore who uh according to the athletics seems to have firmly established himself as the number one receiver in training camp i have said multiple times this offseason that i want to encourage everybody to draft like two of these second year receivers that go in this range of the draft you know elijah moore rashad bateman uh amon ross st brown Kadarius tony like those four guys especially Try to get a couple of them. Even Devontae Smith, you could throw him in there because I think there are some cases where things could break right for him as well, although I, I he's the one that's a little difficult to project targets for. But with Elijah Moore, God, Scott, I just think he's so good. I, I think he legitimately checks every box that you want from a talent perspective. The offseason drum beat is there. The film is there. The separation is there. All the skill sets there. But we still have questions about the ecosystem overall and, of course, the target distribution. So... Do I need a heat check on, on Elijah Moore, or are you excited as well? Uh, very excited, because I think it's very easy to tell yourself a story that he's their most targeted player, that he's the priority. He could get, as you, I love this phrase that you use, you know, the, the layup targets. He could, he could be somebody that they say to themselves, how do we get an easy touch for Elijah Moore as soon as this game starts? You know, if, if they script a few plays to start a, their first drive, I think one of those plays could be a bubble screen to Moore, just a really easy touch for him to get him into the flow of the game. Now, the thing you really need to reconcile, I think, before you sign off on Moore is you have to have a stance on Zach Wilson because you can't yeah. just say, oh, Elijah Moore is great, but I have no idea if Zach Wilson's any good. So, you know, you have to kind of get a sense of where you think the Wilson thing is headed. But again, excused absence. Everything went wrong. They've significant last year. They've significantly upgraded the offensive line. And I think Moore has a really sweet setup in that this is always the chicken egg thing. It's like, okay, you, we want our players to get opportunity, but what if they stand out in talent so much compared to their 
teammates that the other team's going to prioritize them in defensive attention, right? So it's like, what do, what do we want? Do you want them to be helped by the players on their team? But they're going to compete for targets too. I think more hits that really sweet spot where he's clearly their number one target, but the pieces around him are good enough that not every team gets off the bus is like, okay, stop Elijah Moore is the first thing we have to do today because there's other people they have to worry about. They drafted a first-round receiver. They have decent talent in the running back room. Uh, I, I'm with you, man. I think a lot, I, first of all, I love your take on the second-year receivers. I, I, I've really come around on Tony. I wasn't the first guy to the Tony thing, but Same. I think I, I'd be shocked if he isn't their most talented and most productive receiver this year, in part because I'm really down on Kenny Galladay. But, and I can't wait to see Brian Dable again. How, how many coaches, how many quarterbacks have we seen this year? It's like, oh, I'm so glad to see like Daniel Jones have real coaching. I'm so glad to see Trevor Lawrence have real coaching. <laughs> I'm so glad to see Zach Wilson have a real offensive line this year. I love the idea of getting a couple of those second year receivers that you mentioned and, and more and Tony probably at the top of that list for me, although I'm, I'm not against the other guys. And I know we'll talk Bateman more when we get into the Ravens part of the show, but yeah, Elijah Moore is a guy you want to be overweight on. He's he, I'll give you the green light on him. Yeah. I was going to say in terms of red light, green light, yellow light, uh, he is industry consensus, fantasy pros, wide receiver 30 and half PPR rankings. He's Yahoo consensus, wide receiver 30 and half PPR rankings. I've got him wide receiver 30. Scott's got him wide receiver 30. So we're totally on board with exactly what's happening with Elijah Moore. And yeah, my stance on Zach Wilson is I think Zach Wilson can be average. And I think that's good enough this year for Elijah Moore to, to be drafted at wide receiver 30. Um, for just sure. Such a good player. Just such a good player. Where What's your stance on, on Zach Wilson? Like specifically? I mean, good, good athlete. He can run. Um, as my friend, Michael Salfina likes to say, and I think he said on this podcast, he was, Rookie of the week last year, three weeks. Um, I know one of the games he didn't put up the greatest stats, but I mean, it's not like he didn't have some hits last year. I just, it's just such, I feel like all these quarterbacks need a, a mulligan, you know? Um, again, Lance didn't get on the field. Fields was supported so poorly by the people around him. Lawrence had Urban Meyer, who's the worst modern head coaching hire in NFL history. You can't make up the Urban Meyer stuff. He kicked his you can't. You know, after a game, he went into a bar and, and did all this inappropriate stuff. And yeah, I mean, he's like, if, if I told you, if you'd skip the whole football season, I said, oh, yeah, the Jaguars hired Meyer and he did all this stuff. You'd think I was making it up. Oh, no, that's a really bad Showtime show that that, that didn't even get made. You know, they, they made a pilot and they just rejected it out of hand. No, the Urban Meyer experience really happened. I need to see. <laughs> I, need I think to see I think like if you had said this is going to go poorly at the beginning of the year, people would have been like, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to go bad. But that bad. No, you're right. Nobody could have scripted that. Nobody could have scripted it, man. But it's not uncommon to see quarterbacks second year. Terry Bradshaw was horrible his rookie year. He stepped up. John Elway. And what, if you want a more recent example of player people might actually remember, how about Carson Wentz and Jared Goff? They took second year uh, steps forward. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes became a starter in his second year. I believe Lamar Jackson's MVP year was his second year. So this is yeah, – and, and I love calling them sophomores too because like you think about back when you go to college and you're a freshman, you don't know where anything is and you're kind of clueless and you don't really know how to fit in socially. And then you come back that second year and you know where everything is. You kind of know how things work and and you can just settle into your own skin. The NFL is like that too. It's such a big step. As much as I know the schemes are getting closer and closer together and that's why we're more proactive. Like it used to be wide rookie wide receivers. You just didn't go near them. But in the last 10 years, that's changed. It you know, changed in 2014. And now it's like we have to have stances on rookie receivers because they might be useful to us. But it doesn't mean I wouldn't rather have the, the second. I think the second year is such a sweet spot. And again, I love that you're targeting these receivers. They're second year receivers. I love that all these quarterbacks are going to get, I think, more support from their teams other than fields. And I mean, I, I hate talking about that, but 
the Jets have stocked the fridge for Zach Wilson. We're going to find out if he's good. You know, um, the Jaguars are giving Lawrence a chance. Lance is playing now in San Francisco. I'm, I'm really excited. I think a lot of these second year quarterbacks, first of all, they're, they're all, I think all of them are going to play better. But I think a couple of them could really play significantly better. And I have to at least give Wilson a puncher's chance at that. Well said, Scott. All right. When we come back, we have a ton of Rams talk to get through. So we will hit that right after this quick break. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. All right, we're back. And uh, as promised, we have three big Rams headlines to hit here. The the Super Bowl champs uh, never leave us wanting for things to talk about. First, you mentioned it earlier, Scott, and I don't really know how to attack this either. Matthew Stafford has uh, what the team is calling a tricky. Uh, Sean McVay, by the way colorful guy right i mean this is why he's got a future in media he called this a tricky elbow situation he said it's not something that you'd expect for a quarterback and then uh, after stafford threw on saturday with the full first team offense he said he can sleep easier uh at night so <laughs> very very colorful for a head coach to say all this stuff i think they're usually much more cagey about it. like imagine mike vrabel dealing with this he would say absolutely stone nothing about this entire situation so the the way i put this in in my piece on this um entire thing was uh edwin porus from fantasy points made a really good point if the rams are monitoring this you should be monitoring it so scott we're obviously monitoring this situation but have you made any big rankings change reaction to the whole Stafford elbow concern, which apparently dates back to last year. Yeah. Which, which I kind of like that it dates back to last year. Cause at least it tells you that the Rams have some history in how to monitor this, how to maintain it, how to kind of get through week to week. And you know they won the Super Bowl. I know that Stafford stats weren't anywhere near as good in the second half of the season, but the key, the key here is it doesn't, this is important for fantasy because of the entire Rams offense. I mean, if you're worried about Stafford, a quarterback, there's so many other alternatives you have. Fine. Just don't draft them. Draft somebody yeah. else. Draft Kirk Cousins or whatever. You know, you'll be fine. But for fantasy purposes, we need to be able to take Cooper Cup in the top four and feel good about it. We obviously, Allen Robinson, you know, another, you know, Matt Harmon bingo card staple. You know, we want to draft into Matt, into Matt Harmon. We, we want to draft Matt Harmon in the analyst draft, but we want to draft into Alan Not in Robinson. the real draft, though. My, my knees are shot. Knee and shoulder shot. Well, I heard you did great on the Wonderlick, but didn't combine well. Is that is that true? That is, I don't even, I don't even know if that first part is true. Those Wonderlick uh, questions can be a little tricky. So, uh, but definitely, definitely failed the medical recheck. That's for sure. Right. Are you more like a cat or a dog? Would, would you steal a million dollars or you could get away with it? <laughs> But I, you know, I, I cup cup with somebody I landed in a industry salary cap draft last week. I need cup to be great. You know, I mean, look, he's going to have some regression from last year because anybody would. But here's the bottom line: I walk into a draft today, say Taylor's gone, say McCaffrey's gone. Do do I have still the nerve to take Cup over Jefferson, over Chase, over Austin Eckler? I still do because I think the Rams have enough. I, I think it's actually a plus that Stafford went through enough of this last year. 
And the Rams, no, it's, it's not like they have some up and comer, you know, at backup quarterback. They have, like most teams, a quarterback they don't want to play at backup. And, and John Wolford, you know, who is, is there for support, is there to, you know, scout plays and run the clipboard and all that stuff. But they don't want him on the field if they can avoid it. I think Stafford's going to play the full season and maybe be compromised. Maybe I'll take his, I would take his production down a, a tick. Maybe I wouldn't draft into Stafford proactively, but I'm still drafting Cup. If I'm going to draft today, I'm still drafting Cup and Robinson proactively. And that's really all that matters here. 100% agree with that. Um, I'm really not trying to add John Wolford to like the list of bad quarterbacks that Allen Robinson has played with. I mean, it would just be, uh, I'll, like, honestly, I'll quit if Stafford like misses the entire season or some crazy thing like that. And Allen Robinson doesn't get to have his moment here in the sun with a bad quarterback. I, I probably won't quit. Don't, don't keep, uh, don't, don't take that for serious, uh, Yahoo bosses. But I, I will say, just, I also found comfort in the fact that Stafford is apparently more irritated at the management plan than he is bothered by the pain currently with the whole elbow situation. So that does make me feel better. There's a little like Jake DeLome worry in the back of my mind. Cause I mean, it just to bring it back to the damn Panthers again, I remember when DeLome had an elbow situation and that went horribly, but he wasn't nearly as physically gifted as Stafford and neither was he in like the prime of his career, which I think Stafford still is. So I'm with you. When I think I'm, I'm on the If you said page. to me, Think of a quarterback from a, a different era. You know, throw. Imagine him throwing an out pattern that gets jumped, telegraphed, and run back for a pick six. I think Jake Delhomme would be the first guy I would mention. I remember that one year. I believe the Panthers were the number one seed, and Delhomme basically threw it in the shredder by throwing fifteen interceptions in a playoff yeah, game. Yeah, I, I remember I it too. So <laughs> the year Arizona went to the Super Bowl, I want to say the Kurt Warner year, yep. maybe, but. Uh, Jake DeLome, the t- you know, you could have in a super flex league, you, you could have the two Jakes. Could you have like Jake Plummer and Jake DeLome? Be like, okay, you know, I'm riding with two Jakes and then that would not end well. But yeah, don't, don't take Cooper Cup down your board. Do, still draft into Allen Robinson. I'll, I'll give you permission with that. And also a key with injuries like this, Stafford's a veteran. He knows his body. It's whatever reps he's sitting out. It's not like, look, I, I get it. He wants to throw to his receivers and everything. He wants to build chemistry with Robinson. I get it. But those veteran reps are far less important. You know, there's a lot of players in the NFL now who are going to routinely get Wednesday off because it's going to be a maintenance day. It's going to be a load management day for a lot of guys. It's not Matthew Stafford can have limited practice work and still play on game day. The Rams realize that and Stafford knows that himself. Couple other Rams notes here. The Athletics Jordan Rodriguez has has both of these reports actually. Um she says it's quote realistic to believe Van Jefferson is ready for week one. Um, I like drafting Van Jefferson. I think he's a pretty good player because I think he gives you some like wide receiver injury insurance. And also I think he will have some big standalone weeks because uh, he should be the clear cut third guy in that target pecking order. Pretty much without question. Also rap sheet added. There's nothing imminent with Odell Beckham. I mean, no kidding. They need help potentially like week one, week two, and he's not going to be ready till mid season. So I don't know. We'll see if Beckham even ever gets added to this equation here. And also again, from Jordan Rodriguez, she said that Rams coach Sean McVay said, quote, I look at it as if we've got two starting backs. The first one. Okay. The, the Jefferson thing that's to be expected. I don't know if we have to spend a ton of time on, on Van Jefferson, just monitor that situation. But the second one, Scott, I did at least pause on this one. I, I set up top about how Sean McVay is an interesting, colorful guy with what he says to the media sometimes. He could just be, you know, pumping flowers for his guys here, Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson. But apparently Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers were, quote, splitting the reps pretty evenly in, in with the first team in training camp. The ADP... While it's not crazy on Cam Akers, there is a pretty big gap between Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson. 
this did make me at least pause and think, should I close that gap a little? At least just give give Daryl Henderson that green light, at least, where he's going in his drafts at this point, rather than really, I don't know, you can't really bump Cam Akers down that much, but where are you on this Rams backfield? Henderson's one of my favorite. Once you're starting to draft running backs who you're just looking for plausible upside, you're looking for one news item away from being players you would start every week without hesitation. I think Henderson's one of those guys, and I've drafted into him a few times. I think he's on my fishbowl roster. Not, not that anybody cares about my roster, but the point is I'm, you know, I'm invested in this player. He's a player I believe in. Akers is tricky because you know it was great that he came back last year. He was very ineffective when he did come back, but off that injury, it's to be expected. We always think of that as like, okay, you know, the next year, that's when they're going to pop. You know, Dalvin Cook comes to mind. A lot of guys are like that, but... I'm yellow to the point of almost being red on Acres, uh, in part yeah. because Henderson. Henderson's one of my favorite picks. As like your fourth or fifth running back, you're not going to need him September. The bye weeks haven't kicked in yet. Your roster isn't riddled with injuries, hopefully yet. But good offense. The team knows him, and he's certainly the starter if anything happens to Acres. And also, I think there's a ch- there's a chance that Henderson could play well enough that week three, you know, he becomes the, he becomes a starting back or becomes the guy who gets more touches in acres. I think that could be a, a flow of the game thing or a hot hand thing. And so it doesn't Henderson, isn't somebody just, just an injury stash and hope that he actually might have value because he is more effective early on and gets a 50, 50 share of this backfield, or maybe the 60, 40 in Henderson's favor. Yeah. I think there is a chance there's a hot hand situation here. Um, the problem with these guys is they both have durability questions. Henderson is always in and out of the lineup, but you know, a lot of the analysis around why acres is going where he is, is well, yeah, he was hurt, but as soon as he got on the field in the postseason, they made him the feature back. Well, sort of, cause Henderson missed a few of those games in the postseason, And then when he returned for the super bowl, he actually gave them a bit of a jolt as a pass catcher. And I think that's the biggest problem with Cam Akers is if Henderson is their passing down back, and I mean, he's maybe not the pass protecting type. I think they drafted a back out of Notre Dame whose name is escaping me, but um, he, who they kind of looked at as a potential pass protector or whatever. But that's going to sink Akers, I think, if, if this is truly a split backfield and there's already concerns about him. I don't know. It's weird that it's weird that I don't feel super bullish on the potential RB one for an offense like this. Cause that's usually just like how my process goes. I'm, I'm drafting the RB one in a good offense, but maybe acres is not as firmly established as the RB one is. Maybe we think yeah, acres is something I'm going to be underweight on. I mean, that's if you take nothing else from that, from the segment, take that. Is, is it uh, Karen Williams? Is that the running back you were thinking yes, that of? Was, that yeah, was yeah. I was thinking of. Yeah. I, I want you to be overweight on Henderson, underweight on acres. That's my takeaway. Yeah, I think I'm on the same page there. All right, let's talk about another uh, rookie running back here. Isaiah Pacheco might be worth monitoring. Here's a couple of things uh, about Isaiah Pacheco. One, I know that J.J. Zacharyson does a great job of late-round draft guide. That was kind of where I first got put had this guy put on my radar uh, was when I read about him in J.J.'s draft guide. I definitely endorse checking that out and, and reading that whole thing. I will also say the interesting part about Pacheco is that he has been mixing in with the first team. We know that they have kind of shaky starting running back in CEH, like a not really a needle mover type of guy. Ronald Jones also been mixing in with the first team as well. Jarek McKinnon, you know, but they didn't pay Ronald Jones much money. Jarek McKinnon was like a late re-signing. And I think the one thing that's worth mentioning about Pacheco is that he might have the inside track to having kick return duties, which I know that doesn't sound very important for fantasy unless you're in a kick return league, but 
that's going to keep him on the roster if he if he holds that kick return job down and it will keep him active on game day. So say there's a scenario where CEH goes down mid game, you know, and Ronald Jones, if he makes a team, it's like a game day scratch because he, he doesn't play special teams. Pacheco gets the early, the first shot to sort of make an impact there. So I don't know, Scott, this is definitely a situation I've been monitoring. How about you? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the simplest takeaway. I'm not drafting into CEH at all. He'd have to fall. <laughs> he'd have to fall. I think notably below his ADP before I'd even be tempted. Josh Jacobs because, or CEH? Which which one would you rather draft? I think Jacobs has a safer four, but I mean, I wouldn't want either one of them. If we were drafting together, I'd be like, man, let's take a tight end. Let's take a quarterback. Let's take yeah, yeah, a kicker. Yeah. Let's take a defense. Something. Don't don't make me take these guys. And you're, you're obviously they're dead zone guys. Not, not that look, running backs can hit in the dead zone. I mean, it's not you can't take a running back there, but I would really try not to. The problem is just the options after CEH are littered with guys who have different pluses and minuses. You didn't even mention Derek Gore, who you know, has some yep. ability. He might be on the opening day roster too. Pacheco in most leagues is is going to be he's going to be that. Maybe you take him in the last round, or maybe as you said, waiver wire speed dial. Be aware of him. So if this situation becomes muddy or nebulous early in the season, maybe you can be a week early on him and pick him up before he becomes the the lead of our fantasy football waiver wire podcast, that type of thing. You, just a player to be aware of that. There's a guy from Rutgers. You put, you know, he played four years in college and we hold that against running backs, right? Hey, if he's any good, he would have come out earlier, but Andy Reid offense, we have to take that seriously. I, yeah, I wish the guy who I, this feels kind of crazy because he's so old by NFL years, but I, I just keep, I can't shake the idea that Jarek McKinnon's going to have a role in this offense. That Jarek McKinnon's going to have like four or five games in fantasy that we're really like. He looked like. good the postseason, right? He looked he like did. the best back. I waited all year. all year. I waited all yeah. year for this to happen. It didn't happen. I, I was doing some McKinnon stashing. I got nothing out of it. And then he played well in the postseason. It's like, okay, I feel that tiny hint of worthless validation. It's like when you get eliminated <laughs> from the fantasy playoffs and your team does the dance of the recently eliminated and goes crazy. Every time you get lose in the fantasy playoffs, play your entire roster the next week in DFS. It's a it's a <laughs> ATM, man. Your team will dance like crazy. But um, don't draft CEH. So That's true. my takeaway. Don't draft. Call this podcast. Don't draft CEH. Don't draft yeah. Josh. Ja- don't draft Josh Jacobs. Don't draft CEH. Repeat until rich. Just don't take a freaking running back in that range of the drafts. Like if you, because those guys I think are the next tier after the mildly intriguing quote dead zone guys, right? Like Brees Hall or Travis Etienne or Elijah Mitchell. They're I think a next tier down Jacobs and CH. And I agree all those, even maybe I think Miles Sanders is kind of in that group too. Although I know some people like Sanders more than, uh, more than those two. The problem with Sanders is we all know he's going to have positive touchdown regression because you know it's really hard to touch the ball as much as he did and score zero times. But that's probably going to be regression to like four or five touchdowns. They still have other backs they like. They still have a quarterback who runs an awful lot. I, I want Miles Sanders to happen. And th- th- also, it's fr- it's frustrating because you wish, you always wish the NFL team liked the player as much as you do. I always wish the Eagles liked Miles Sanders as much as I do. And we know they have a road grading offensive line. I mean, that, that that could be the best offensive line in football, and it's certainly in my top five. But uh, it's just. The Eagles are fast. I don't know when the Eagles preview oh, yeah. is going to happen, but there, there's a team you have to spend. You have to spend an afternoon with the Eagles because they're a really important team to get right in fantasy. 100% agree with that. All right, last uh, report here from training camp uh, before we move on to our Ravens preview. ESPN report, uh, Damian Pierce, quote, looks like the best Texans running back. Don't know how don't know if that's saying very much, uh, but it is worth noting. Also, there's some hype about Nico Collins as the number two wide receiver. I talked about Nico Collins with Andy on a couple podcasts ago. Scott, I think he is like, talk about a green light. 
take Nico Collins in the late rounds in every single redraft league. I guarantee you he's like the lowest ranked number two wide receiver in the entire NFL on Dalton Del Don's Houston Texans. But what do you so I feel pretty confident what what I think about Nico Collins. But what do you think about this backfield? Like I haven't taken a major stand on any of these guys here and talk about potential goofball depth chart. It's definitely this one. I just first want to sign off on all the Nico Collins support. You know, when that question was asked, what's the wide receiver nobody's talking about? First of all, somebody's talking about everybody, but Nico yeah. Collins, I think Nico <laughs> Collins is a good answer to that question where clearly they're number two and Davis Mills is good enough. I'm not saying Davis Mills is great, but he's going to have a 10 or 12 year NFL career. I could see him kind of being, think of the good part of Ryan Fitzpatrick. I could see that being Davis Mills, the depth chart after them. I mean, Chris Conley's basically a blocker. There's a bunch of guys after that, a really ugly wide receiver room in Houston. I think Nico Collins is ready to have like a 950 yard, six, seven touchdown season. And you're getting it so inexpensively at ADP. The thing with Pierce is, I get it. It's it's hard to feel good about drafting a running back on a team that's probably going to win just a handful of games. But who are we asking him to beat out? It feels like Rex Burkhead is as old as Tom Brady. I know he's not, but Burkhead clearly he's not on the back nine. He's on the seventeenth or eighteenth hole at this point. Marlon Max bounced around. He's had some injuries. The upside of the unknown is more interesting to me. If I'm going to draft a Houston back, it has to be Pierce. And at some point, Houston they're playing for the future. They're going to be in evaluation mode. If Pierce flashes at all. It just becomes a case of, okay, let's see, is this guy a part of our future? Can this guy be the starting running back the next time we have a contending team? I, I think he's going to lead the team in rushing. I'd like, I would like you to draft Pierce. I really want you to draft Nico Collins. I think I feel the exact same way. Um, I, I want to see some more clarity on this backfield, but it's definitely one where I, I could see myself drafting Pierce uh, as the summer goes on. All right, let's talk about the Ravens, Scott. Uh, but before we do that, you said before we started recording that you've got a hot take on former Ravens wide receiver Marquise Brown. So before we talk about the current Ravens, let's talk about the former Raven. What's what's your Marquise Brown hot take? Yeah, I know some people might disagree with this, but we know he was in the news what, a week or so ago going 126 miles an hour. And there's he was thing. in a hurry to get to practice, Scott. He was in a hurry. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. If, if I if Cliff Kingsbury was in my life, I'd be driving fast too. I'd be driving fast away from <laughs> Arizona practice, probably. But <laughs> there's this thing that that Bill James coined called signature significance, which is that most of the time when we analyze things, we want big data samples. But sometimes there can be an isolated incident, like like if a baseball pitcher got called up and threw a no hitter with 15 strikeouts, it's virtually impossible for him to not be a great pitcher that 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 can't be a fluke if you go on a blind date and you're, you're out to dinner and your date is incredibly rude to the waiter or waitress you should just walk out right away that person's a rotten person that's almost always symbolic of something being wrong with the person now with with marquise brown talented guy first round pick runs by people I, we, we know he had a decent fantasy year last year it wasn't great in the efficiency metrics he certainly dropped a, a ton of like what could have been big splash plays but the fact that he was driving 126, and look, I, I got a ticket the other day going like 43 and a 35. It's not like I've never driven over the speed limit, but I've never driven 126. I think this brings in, I don't know, just a little bit of knucklehead risk with, with Marquise Brown that maybe I, I wasn't initially factoring in. I'm not saying you can't draft him. I'm not saying he's like a bomb. I'm not saying he isn't talented. Obviously, he and Murray played together in, in college, so you have that going for you, and they need him, right? I mean, Hopkins isn't going to be back for a while, and there's... You know, Brown's going to have a role. He's going to have a useful season. But him going 126 in a car, just, again, the knucklehead risk. There's a knucklehead risk here that I th would have thought was close to zero that I don't think is close to zero anymore. 
did I bury Brown in my rankings? No. Did I move him down maybe a couple of cosmetic spots? Yeah, I did. And if you think that's wrong, I'll be fine. But I think that's a signature significance thing. Somebody who's driving 126 on the way to practice, I'm a little bit nervous. You think, what's knucklehead risk? It's like Antonio Brown always brought knucklehead risk. Now, granted, he might have been the best fantasy player in the 2010s. I, I think he's a Hall of Fame receiver. If you can just divorce yourself from all the drama he brought on and some of the strange things that Antonio Brown did. I did move Hollywood Brown down a couple of spots. Now, again, I didn't bury him. I moved him down a Antonio little bit. Antonio Brown's cousin, by by the way, Hollywood Brown. Yeah, Hollywood Brown. Yeah, sure. I moved Hollywood Brown down. Do you think Antonio Brown plays again, by the way? No. I don't, I don't either. I don't, That's, I don't but that. I've been wrong about this before. I've been wrong about for this sure, before. For sure. For sure. So I just think there's a little, a twinge of knucklehead risk with Hollywood Brown, and I moved him down maybe two or three slots. If you think I'm crazy, call me out. If, I mean, certainly let Scott know what you think about that. I, I would say that even if you don't know even if you don't believe in the uh, knucklehead risk, I think you kind of have to believe in the circus risk with the Arizona Cardinals. And you mentioned Cliff Kingsbury and driving the other way um, up top. I thought this quote was interesting. Cliff Kingsbury, uh, Josh Weinfuss from ESPN asked him about this. Here's the quote. I asked Cliff Kingsbury about having Kyler Murray call the plays via radio on Saturday. Here's what Cliff said. I just wanted him to know that, hey, this ain't easy. Every now and then, he starts shaking his head when I'm calling it in there. I'm like, all right, go ahead, big dog. <laughs> I mean, what what are we talking about with, with Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray here? So I guess he's going to have Kyler Murray do the headset and like call plays during a preseason game, but only to make a point about how my job, if I'm Cliff Kingsbury, is actually hard. What I think there's knucklehead risk. There might be knucklehead risk with the head coach and and like the quarterback dynamic here, which we know has already been weird this offseason with the Cardinals. Tomorrow's headlines today. At some point, it's going to be August fifth, and the the headline's going to be: Remember when the Arizona Cardinals were seven and zero last year and the last undefeated team in the NFL? As they now sit two and four, and Cliff Kingsbury's on the hot seat, and Colin Murray's in a funk, and they're hoping DeAndre Hopkins can save their season. I'm not drafting for this. This team is almost an entire red light for me. I, I have a little bit of earths. I mean, he's an old tight end. He's kind of a catch and fall guy at this point in his career. I hope they can unlock Rondell Moore, although I'm not a Kingsbury guy. Uh, Murray, I, I see why people are drafting him. The problem with him is I don't know how much he's going to run when he got dinged up last year. He didn't want to run anymore. Yeah. Connor's obviously heading for a ton of touchdown regression and he had trouble staying healthy before that. Although you can say that about almost every running back. I, I'm, man, I think the Cardinals, it helps that Seattle's in this division. So it, it, is it funny, man? A year ago, I would have told you the NFC West was the hot division. And I loved watching those guys go go back and forth. But I think Arizona's headed in the wrong direction. Seattle's headed in the wrong direction. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury's a long answer here. I, I think there's a decent chance he's not their coach next year. Yeah, all right. We're, we basically started doing a Cardinals preview, which maybe we can come back at that at some point. But we are talking about a different bird here. Yep. Sorry uh, about that. Yeah, no, no, that's all right. I, when you said the thing about Marquise Brown, it made me think about that insane Cliff Kingsbury quote, which I could talk about for a whole other hour. But we won't. Ari we Arizona, get away, get away. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We will talk about the Ravens here, um, which is another really fascinating team to break down. Um, Scott, obviously. They lose Marquise Brown. That's a huge boost for Rashad Bateman. It sounds like Devin Duvernay is the clear-cut number two receiver on this team, which is wild. But I want to start talking about the running backs, which, by the way, I said that we're this podcast is going to come out Monday, August 8th. We're recording this on Sunday, August 7th. Apparently, the Ravens sound like they're going to get some clarity or make a decision or you know, there's going to be some news about J.K. Dobbins here in the early part of this coming week. I, we just don't know when it is yet. The whole premise of the Ravens, I think, this offseason in fantasy has been 
they're going to get back to their rushing identity because their backs are going to be healthy. Well, their running backs are not healthy, right? J.K. Dobbins um, is on the PUP. Gus Edwards sounds like he's even farther behind based on reports and his recovery. So we're looking at like Mike Davis uh, and a rookie running back that they drafted this year. Are the Ravens actually going to be able to get back to running the football if they don't have any good running backs on this team again? I think they need to. Um, this weekend I was reading some of the Football Outsiders Annual, which is great. And it's great. Robert right? Weintraub wrote the Ravens section, and he talked about a problem the Ravens had last year. First of all, anything you say about the Ravens for this year has to start with they were, I think, the most injured team in the NFL last year. If they weren't number one, they were like two or three. I mean, they were yeah. riddled. They were done in, I think Football Outsiders said they were basically done in by MRIs. I mean, they were just crushed by injury. They have such great coaching infrastructure and they have such a smart organization that you would just think a, a plexiglass principle would kick in and that they would have positive regression, be a playoff contender, probably be back in the playoffs this year. But last year, teams started blitzing Lamar Jackson and saying, hey, okay, go make a quick decision. We dare you. And, it, and they played, they were beating the Ravens with man coverage, which initially you wouldn't want to do because, oh no, he's going to kill us on the ground. I think the Bengals put down a blueprint of, of how to beat Baltimore last year. And again, look, the Ravens, you know, their offensive line was hurt and they didn't have the team they wanted to have on the field. So it's hard to take last year at face value. But man, I can't draft into any of the running backs. I don't know who was healthy. I mean, Mike Davis is there. He's he's the classic Jag. He's in his late 20s. We saw he's probably the poster child of why you don't take a running back in the dead zone. And, and I admit I fell yeah. for it last year. I just thought I thought his workload would be so safe that he could be really boring and, and maybe not even a good real life player, but he'd get like 240 touches and I'd find use for him in fantasy. And instead Cordero Patterson became their running back. Didn't see that one coming. Yeah. But until we know who's healthy in this backfield or who's going to start week one, I, I don't know. I don't know how you can draft Dobbins or, or Edwards and feel good about it right now because I, I need where they're going. And I know they're not going super expensive, but I want them to be able to, I, certainly Dobbins. I would want him to be able to play in September. I don't know for sure that's going to happen. And the other fascinating thing about this team is they need they need Bateman to be great. They need Bateman yeah. at least to be good, probably to be great, because look, Devin Duvernay is is a talented guy. He's a good return guy. He's not a bad gadget player. He's somebody who, when you go heavy with receivers, you can have him on the field. And I, I would like him on my team. He's miscast as a wide receiver too. I think everybody knows that. I, I don't know if they traded Brown just they thought they were getting value. You know, maybe, maybe they knew something about him. Maybe they knew he drives 126 to practice. I don't know. This is a team, if anybody becomes available, I'm still waiting. Like I know uh, the established run guys don't understand why Will Fuller hasn't already signed with the Cowboys the moment he can show he's healthy because they badly need a receiver. If I were the Ravens, I'd be in on any any good receiver who might get moved or even like a guy who you have to glimpse and squint at. Like maybe Darius Slayton's available. Maybe the Giants have soured on him. I, get him in Sounds Baltimore. Sounds like they have. Yeah, get him in Baltimore, man. I Give him a chance. Kick the tires. You know, it was, that's why it made sense for the Bears to kick the tires on the Keel Harry. The Ravens are going to add somebody who you've heard of, I think, at receiver before the season starts. And I ask you, Matt, Lamar Jackson, he's won an MVP, hasn't won a playoff game. They didn't make the playoffs last year. He's playing for his new contract. That contract stuff is in the news every day. Is he? Is Lamar Jackson's game sustainable? Do you think he's going to improve as a pocket passer? Will he learn how to beat the Blitz this year? There can be noise in those stats year over year sometimes too. What's, I think you have to have a take on Lamar Jackson before you get deeper into this offense. Uh, are you in or out? What's, what's your traffic light on Lamar Jackson right now? 
he won one playoff game, right? I think did he? Lamar, oh, maybe he did. yeah, okay. yeah. He won. He won, did one. Uh, he did win one, but yeah, they have not made a deep postseason run with Lamar Jackson. But I, I love Lamar this year. I'm really excited about him. Um, because number one, I think when you look at the way they were playing last year to start before injuries kind of destroyed that entire offense, and injuries obviously hit Lamar Jackson as well. He was playing pretty good football from a passing standpoint. I mean, he's never going to be Patrick Mahomes. He's never going to be Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. We know that. But I think he was a solidly above average to very good passer to start last year with not very good players around him, especially on the offensive line. I think that's one of the keys for this team. And they did have their rookie center, Tyler Lindenbaum, got hurt. Sounds like it's not super serious, but... We don't want like a cascading effect here where the offensive line starts to fall apart because I think that's the key for this offense. The fact that I don't care if their running backs get, I mean, I care, right? I want JK Dobbins to be out there. He sounds like he's a really exciting player, but the bigger thing to me here is that the offensive line has been, you know, Ronnie Stanley's healthy, like Tyler Lindenbaum hits the ground running. They have a better solution at right tackle than Andre Villanueva last year. And who had to move to left tackle. Like it was just a nightmare. If that line can protect, Jackson better I think he can be again a somewhere between very good to great passer this year that obviously with the rushing boost that he gives you is going to make him an elite fantasy quarterback I believe I have him as my quarterback too this year and I feel very good about that behind Josh Allen on Rashad Bateman there's a chance they add a, a a veteran receiver but they haven't been in a hurry and Will Fuller's probably what like the or Odo Beckham late in the season, probably the only guy really that would like move the needle, right? Uh, from a projection standpoint, I guess. Right now I've got Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman combined for 51% of the team passing targets. Wow. And I think that's very realistic that that happens. It's too. not much raw volume because we know they're not going to throw the ball that much, but that's enough for Bateman to get where he needs to go and I uh, I'm, a, I'm a big Rashad Bateman fan. You're you're the lowest among our Yahoo Fantasy rankers. I'm actually second lowest. I have him at wide receiver 29, but you've got him ranked much lower, Rashad Bateman, than consensus among the guys uh, that are ranked for us, obviously Andy and Dalton as well. I, I just think there's a chance that Bateman really erupts as a great player this year because I believe in the skill set, and I believe that they have never had a player like Rashad Bateman in the Lamar Jackson era, certainly, like a true legitimate number one X receiver who can beat press man coverage, who can win all across the route tree and who can win contested can win after the catch, but they might, they honestly Ravens hadn't had anybody like that in like 10 years. So I think there's a chance just Bateman established himself as that good of a player. And, and that's enough to get him into like the wide receiver two range in fantasy. Yeah. I think the reason why I'm the lowest on Bateman is when a player's breakout is th this notably priced into his ADP. It just makes me nervous. Yeah, I, I hear also you. just what I saw from Jackson last year. And again, there were circumstances, as you said, the, the line was a work in progress and they were playing guys out of position. They were so riddled with injuries. They didn't have the team on the field that they wanted. And, and Jackson had injuries, too, and to the point that he hardly played in the final quarter of the season just to clean up the Jackson in the playoffs. You're right. He, he is one and three in the playoffs. He did beat Tennessee two years ago. Uh, they've only scored 52 points in his four playoff games. And I, I know quarterback rating is a very buggy stat but it, it's a good back of envelope 68.3 quarterback rating in the playoffs three touchdown passes five interceptions of course he's a great runner he's gone over 100 yards a couple of times in the playoffs and you can't you always have to include that as part of jackson's value so i, I don't want to be unfair there just the case of bateman when a player becomes kind of a hipster pick or a buzzy pick i 
I'm I'm just more of an agnostic person with value, and then that just goes against my drafting ethos. I'm not saying he isn't right. I mean, everything that people said about this guy coming out of Minnesota, I get it. And you know, he played, I thought, pretty well when he finally got on the field last year. And at least he's gotten his feet wet. And the way the roster is constructed, I mean, I love that target share you talked about. But half of the targets going to Andrews and Bateman. It's it's not a, not even a hot take, or not even like a crazy imagine this. It's look at the rest of the receivers, and we know they generally don't throw a lot to their running backs either. Of course, they're going to play that way. They kind of have to. Yeah, they have to. So you know, Bateman's a guy. This is where I miss Matt the way preseason used to be. I think teams are smarter now with preseason. If you're good, we don't want you on the field. We don't want you to get hurt, get you in bubble wrap early, and let's make sure you're healthy for the regular season. Five years ago, I would have been like, okay, get me to a Ravens game. I got to see Jackson and Bateman. I want to I watch some of this stuff. Now, we don't even know if we'll see, they'll play any snaps in the preseason. It might be very limited. But R- Rashard Bateman, it's just a matter of, I love your year two wide receiver take. I would think I'd rather be more overweight on a Tony or overweight on a St. Brown than a Bateman. But I certainly understand why if I don't have Bateman shares, how that could beat me because he's got the skill set. As you said, he's a, a talent, the type of talent this team hasn't had. And they've set up an offense where it's not just that they want to use him. They really have to use him. Yeah. And I think when you look at Rashad Bateman too, you're right. There's a lot of the ceiling kind of priced into that ADP, which is, you know, a totally fair kind of way to be a little, a little shy about it. Whereas Kadarius Tony, as you mentioned, you know, Tony, like all of the negativity is already baked into his ADP. Like the knuckle talk about the knucklehead factor, like that's baked into where Kadarius Tony is going. The Giants offense being a train wreck, a clown show, that's baked into his ADP already. So, you know, when you're looking at him as like outside the top 40 receivers and, you know, Bateman inside the top 30 receivers, I think that's where you kind of have that little debate with yourself. Uh, last thing on Rashad Bateman, you mentioned how he played pretty well last year. It's also worth remembering, too because injuries is the theme of the 2021 Ravens. Like he had the early part of his season and most of his training camp wiped out. And even when he was on the field in training camp, Lamar Jackson was dealing with like COVID during training camp. So they barely had a lot of time together. And then of course, once Bateman finally did establish himself as a regular in the, in the rotation, Jackson was hurt. So I agree. It would be nice to see those guys together, but you know, he's already had like, a situation in training camp or shot abatement where the coaches were like, yeah, we're going to take it easy on him because we don't want him. We know he's good. We don't want him to get hurt. So I agree. We're not going to get a lot of sample size on those two guys until the actual regular season. Could just a couple more things on the Ravens here before we wrap up. I mentioned rookie running back Tyler Beatty is the guy that I want to, I think we should mention just as like a waiver wire speed dial player Um, had over 1600 rushing yards at Missouri. Uh, to end his collegiate season as a senior, six yards per carry, 14 touchdowns, 54 catches as well. We know they don't throw to running backs very often, but it's just worth uh, keeping him kind of on your waiver wire speed dial. If Mike Davis looks like Mike Davis from last year, that ain't going to last very long if there's an event of an injury there. Uh, And last thing too, tight end Mark Andrews. Dalton is our only guy here at Yahoo who's got him as the tight end one after he finished as the tight end one last year. Uh, Where are you comfortable drafting Mark Andrews, who is – Definitely the most established player in the passing game by a country mile. I'm generally not a vanity tight end drafter, but if you are, if that's something you're interested in doing, I'm fine with Andrews anywhere in the second round. Yep, me too. I, I think so, but I I agree. I never really find myself taking him, and then I find myself hating my tight end uh, roster. So uh, he's there so is good. I mean, we we so love good. tight ends who are really masquerading as big receivers. I mean, what a fun team they had in college. He's another guy who played with Kyler Murray, but um, he, he's. Mark Andrews is such a fun football player. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, anything else on the Ravens? Anything else just in general on the pod before we get out of here, Scott? 
Justin Tucker is the best kicker in NFL history. Are you pro fantasy kicker or anti fantasy kicker? I'm a fantasy kicker agnostic. Uh, you want kickers? Cool. I'll, I'll play with kickers. You you don't want to play with kickers? I'm fine. Um, here's my thing. Here's my th- here, here's my thing with kickers. Okay, if you want to get rid of the kickers, I implore you put in another flex position. Give me. Yes. Don't take away a decision point where you, you want as many. You want your league to come down as many different decisions. You, you want. Um, that's how you're going to win, right? Because you're you're going to be an accumulation of forks in the road. You have to make a good choice. Your opponents hopefully don't make a good choice. So if you take away the kicker from me, that's fine. Just add me another flex. And uh, shout out to Jennifer Eakins, who if you do play in a kicker format, she does a lot of great kicker content. It's on four for four. A lot of her work is on Yahoo. So um, if kickers are your thing, and I, I'm, I'm fine with it. I think this, the thing with kickers is, I think a lot of people want to say, oh, it's, it's just random. It's all luck. And, you know, Kymie Fairbairn just made five field goals and beat me. Who could have seen that coming? The NFL is full of randomness and full of bounces in luck. There's a there's yeah. a right way and a wrong way to approach the kicker position. Again, Jen, who, who does great football work anyway, uh, she's kind of my kicker go-to if I, you need a guru for that. But I, I just want as many different ways to beat my opponent. So give me a lot of flexes. And if you, know, you want to play with the kickers, I'm fine with it. More flexes, uh, keep kickers, whatever. But yeah, I am totally on board. Like, give give us more starting spots. I mean, we're just talking about Kadarius Tony, um, as you know, a sub forty wide receiver. These are in our consensus Yahoo rankings. These are wide receivers forty two to fifty: Drake London, Kadarius Tony, Robert Woods, Traylon Burks, Chase Claypool, DeAndre Hopkins, obviously serving a suspension. Chris Olave, Tyler Boyd, Devontae Parker. Like, those are guys you should be thinking about every single week. Is like, should I start? Should I start this player? Because everybody gets all tied up in knots when the guy goes off on your bench. And, you know, look, I really wanted to start Chris Olave this week because he had a great wide receiver cornerback matchup and the volume's been there. But I'm not going to bench, you know, a Mike Evans or a or a Mike Williams or, a, you know, a, a Terry McLaurin, a guy drafted to start every single week. You know how you avoid that? churning in your stomach those t- you know sunday night like when scott and i are doing the recap podcast during the season we're like this was the week to start chris olave or this was the week to start Traylon burks whatever you get more options that's the way to do it um if your team gets injured you're gonna have to start some goofballs but the the fun part of it the reward is certainly there to start more players so it's good, also good more fun right more games yeah. will be relevant to you you have more guys to track you'll have more exciting plays to watch and also you'll be less likely to be killed by any outlier performance one of your opponents you know scores four touchdowns or something one of his players goes off in a game if your league has very limited starting players that that's probably going to mean you lose if you play deeper starters that's just a it's less impactful your star player gets hurt in the first quarter if your league only starts a handful of players that can almost be like an automatic loss right away if you start more players it doesn't turn into that and it will just give you more it'll make you more knowledgeable about the league it'll make more games be relevant to you and i think it's more fun i look the bottom line is this, whatever your league construction is, whatever works for you, whether you're, you know, of a, you know, kind of a newer player or you're a more sophisticated player, you know, it does, there's no right or wrong way to do it. I know people get in leagues sometimes with their families or they play with their kids and maybe they just want to kind of go, you know, they want to walk before they run and they don't want an overly complicated league format. That's totally fine. But if you're in a league with more experienced players and, and you're sick of the you know, kind of the, the less skilled players you think winning in your league, put more skill into your league. And the way you do that is by starting more players. And by the way, if you're listening to a fantasy podcast at, at any time during the year, but certainly in the early part of August, or you've been with us all off season, yes, you're, a you're, a, you're a good player. You're a, and at the very least, 
you're working to become a good player and you're dedicated to it, you should pay off all, all this time you've not going to say wasted all this time you spent listening to me or listening to Scott or studying up on fantasy reward yourself, reward that skill and the work that you put into it by having more starting spots to, to take advantage of the fact that, you know, about Chris Olave or Traylon Burks or, you know, Chase Claypool's changing role to a big slot or, you know, whatever, so that you can get those guys in your starting lineup. So that's a good, that's a good way to end it, Scott. I feel like that's a, uh, it, it was went from like a sort of, uh, let's do this. Let's make a format change. Almost like a, Hey, let's motivate those folks out there to, to reward themselves for their hard work. Very well said, my friend. All right. That's going to do it for us. It's going to do it for Scott, who you can follow on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Uh, maybe you also, you know, while, while you're on Twitter, while you're feeling good, make sure you check in uh, with our Yahoo fantasy handle. Of course, that's at Yahoo fantasy um, and give a shout out to John Gennaro on Twitter. Lord podcast. We got it. We got to give uh, we got to give John some love too. Uh, <laughs> God, that was a big mistake on John's part. Telling Lord us that. podcast. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's getting run. That's going to be said for the next 20 weeks. That is going to get some pub for sure. 20 weeks, bro. We got a long way to go here on this podcast that we're doing uh, every single week. That's at John M. Gennaro. Uh, maybe we'll get him to change it to Lord Podcast at some point. Lord, po- Lord po- I got to find out if Lord Podcast is taken. There's no way that's available. There's just no shot that that's available. I want um, him to be the blue check mark Lord Podcast. I see Lord. No, I think it might be available. Oh, there you go. Something to look into. Something to look into. Uh, all right. I mean, he he edits the show. He could just cut all this out. That's the beautiful part of this. All right. Tomorrow, Andy Barons and I uh, will be back. We will discuss a topic du jour in the fantasy world. And of course, the very interesting Las Vegas Raiders. Maybe we won't talk about Josh Jacobs. Uh, you, we'll you're see. going to because Andy is a Jacobs sympathizer. You guys are going to go. Oh, well, this is good. Jacobs. He posted some, look, I love Andy, but he posted some really misguided Josh Jacobs pub saying that it's okay to draft Josh Jacobs. I, Harmon, you need to win that. You need to take him down. You need to, I don't want Andy just to lose this debate. I want him to be demoralized. I want him to actually say, oh, you no. know what? I, I need a week off. I, Harmon just came at me hard. He sacked me like the, like Mark Gaston and Joe Klecko, you know, um, he, he sacked me like the 1985 Bears. This is the Bears beauty must of the go down. Podcast. He must go down hard. You must this go down the, hard. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best, but this is the beauty of the podcast, right? Like the listeners are going to get two perspectives here uh, from you, from the anti Jacobs, from Andy, from the pro Jacobs. So that's the beauty of it. I always wish we do more of that. And it's not, here's the great thing about this. It's not a faux debate. It's not like, Oh, somebody pretend they're on this side of it. Somebody pretend they're on that side of it. You guys organically disagree on this subject. So that's where you learn. And I'll, I'll just throw out one more thing to our listener because again if you're listening to this podcast in early august you take fantasy football seriously and you want to be a better manager and all that the best way to learn is find the smartest people you can who disagree with you and learn from them and and try to examine it's so easy to get caught up in the confirmation bias who agrees with me okay let's just you know let's have a nice little patty cake agreement discussion (laughs) and decide we're all right and overdose on confirmation bias and look that feels good and whenever i agree with matt i I feel better I'm, i'm a human being but the way we grow and the way we learn is we get outside our comfort zone. Find the smartest people that don't agree with you and try to learn from them. And I, I guarantee you'll be a better player for it. That's what I'm hoping we can foster here on the show the rest of the way, Scott. So I'm very excited about it. Um, but yeah, we'll be back tomorrow talking about wide receiver rankings and the Las Vegas Raiders. Until then, we're out.